Chapter Seven of Pictures from Italy by Charles Dickens. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Anthony Ogus. An Italian Dream. I had been travelling for some days, resting very little in the night and never in the day. The rapid and unbroken succession of novelties that had passed before me came back like half-formed dreams and a crowd of objects wandered in the greatest confusion through my mind as I travelled on by a solitary road. At intervals some one among them would stop, as it were, in its restless flitting to and fro, and enable me to look at it quite steadily and behold it in full distinctness. After a few moments it would dissolve, like a view in a magic lantern, and while I saw some part of it quite plainly, and some faintly, and some not at all, would show me another of the many places I had lately seen, lingering behind it, and coming through it. This was no sooner visible than, in its turn, it melted into something else. At one moment I was standing again before the brown old rugged churches of Medena. As I recognised the curious pillars with grim monsters for their bases, I seemed to see them, standing by themselves in the quiet square at Padua, where there were the staid old university and the figures, demurely gowned, grouped here and there in the open space about it. Then I was strolling in the outskirts of that pleasant city, admiring the unusual neatness of the dwelling-houses, gardens and orchards, as I had seen them a few hours before. In their stead arose, immediately, the two towers of Bologna, and the most obstinate of all these objects failed to hold its ground a minute before the monstrous moated castle of Ferrara, which, like an illustration to a wild romance, came back again in the red sunrise, lording it over the solitary, grass-grown, withered town. In short, I had that incoherent but delightful jumble in my brain, which travellers are apt to have, and are indolently willing to encourage. Every shake of the coach in which I sat, half dozing in the dark, appeared to jerk some new recollection out of its place, and to jerk some other new recollection into it, and in this state I fell asleep. I was awakened after some time, as I thought, by the stopping of the coach. It was now quite night, and we were at the waterside. There lay here a black boat, with a little house or cabin in it of the same mournful colour. When I had taken my seat in this, the boat was paddled by two men, towards a great light lying in the distance on the sea. Ever and again there was a dismal sigh of wind. It ruffled the water and rocked the boat, and sent the dark clouds flying before the stars. I could not but think how strange it was to be floating away at that hour, leaving the land behind and going on towards this light upon the sea. It soon began to burn brighter, and from being one light became a cluster of tapers, twinkling and shining out of the water, as the boat approached towards them by a dreamy kind of track, marked out upon the sea by posts and piles. We had floated on five miles or so over the dark water, when I heard it rippling in my dream against some obstruction near at hand. Looking out attentively, I saw, through the gloom, a something black and massive like a shore, but lying close and flat upon the water like a raft, which we were gliding past. The chief of the two rowers said it was a burial place. 
full of the interest and wonder which a cemetery lying out there in the lonely sea inspired i turned to gaze upon it as it should recede in our path when it was quickly shut out from my view before i knew by what or how i found that we were gliding up a street a phantom street the houses rising on both sides from the water and the black boat gliding on beneath their windows lights were shining from some of these casements plumbing the depth of the black stream with their reflected rays but all was profoundly silent so we advanced into this ghostly city continuing to hold our course through narrow streets and lanes all filled and flowing with water some of the corners where our way branched off were so acute and narrow that it seemed impossible for the long slender boat to turn them but the rowers with a low melodious cry of warning sent it skimming on without a pause sometimes the rowers of another black boat like our own echoed the cry and slackening their speed as i thought we did ours would come flitting past us like a dark shadow other boats of the same sombre hue were lying moored i thought to painted pillars near to dark mysterious doors that opened straight upon the water some of these were empty in some the rowers lay asleep towards one i saw some figures coming down a gloomy archway from the interior of a palace gaily dressed and attended by torch-bearers it was but a glimpse i had of them for a bridge so low and close upon the boat that it seemed ready to fall down and crush us one of the many bridges that perplexed the dream blotted them out instantly on we went floating towards the heart of this strange place with water all about us where never water was elsewhere clusters of houses churches heaps of stately buildings growing out of it and everywhere the same extraordinary silence presently we shot across a broad and open stream and passing as i thought before a spacious paved quay where the bright lamps with which it was illuminated showed long rows of arches and pillars of ponderous construction and great strength but as light to the eye as garlands of hoar-frost or gossamer and where for the first time i saw people walking arrived at a flight of steps leading from the water to a large mansion where having passed through corridors and galleries innumerable i lay down to rest listening to the black boat stealing up and down below the window on the rippling water till i fell asleep the glory of the day that broke upon me in this dream its freshness motion buoyancy its sparkles of the sun in water its clear blue sky and rustling air no waking words can tell but from my window i looked down on boats and barks on masts sails cordage flags on groups of busy sailors working at the cargoes of these vessels on wide quays strewn with bales casks merchandise of many kinds on great ships lying near at hand in stately indolence on islands crowned with gorgeous domes and turrets and where golden crosses glittered in the light atop of wondrous churches springing from the sea going down upon the margin of the green sea rolling on before the door and filling all the streets i came upon a place of such surpassing beauty and such grandeur that all the rest was poor and faded in comparison with its absorbing loveliness it was a great piazza as i thought anchored like all the rest in the deep ocean on its broad bosom was a palace more majestic and magnificent in its old age 
than all the buildings of the earth in the high prime and fullness of their youth cloisters and galleries so light they might have been the work of fairy hands so strong that centuries had battered them in vain wound round and round this palace and enfolded it with a cathedral gorgeous in the wild luxuriant fancies of the east at no great distance from its porch a lofty tower standing by itself and rearing its proud head alone into the sky looked out upon the adriatic sea near to the margin of the stream were two ill-omened pillars of red granite one having on its top a figure with a sword and shield the other a winged lion not far from these again a second tower richest of the rich in all its decorations even here where all was rich sustained aloft a great orb gleaming with gold and deepest blue the twelve signs painted on it and a mimic sun revolving in its course and round them while above two bronze giants hammered out the hours upon a sounding bell an oblong square of lofty houses of the whitest stone surrounded by a light and beautiful arcade formed part of this enchanted scene and here and there gay masts for flags rose tapering from the pavement of the unsubstantial ground i thought i entered the cathedral and went in and out amongst its many arches traversing its whole extent a grand and dreamy structure of immense proportions golden with old mosaics redolent of perfumes dim with the smoke of incense costly in treasure of precious stones and metals glittering through iron bars holy with the bodies of deceased saints rainbow-hued with windows of stained glass dark with carved woods and coloured marbles obscure in its vast heights and lengthened distances shining with silver lamps and winking lights unreal fantastic solemn inconceivable throughout i thought i entered the old palace pacing silent galleries and council chambers where the old rulers of this mistress of the waters looked sternly out in pictures from the walls and where her high proud galleys still victorious on canvas fought and conquered as of old i thought i wandered through its halls of state and triumph bare and empty now and musing on its pride and might extinct for that was past all past heard a voice say some tokens of its ancient rule and some consoling reasons for its downfall may be traced here yet i dreamed that i was led on then into some jealous rooms communicating with a prison near the palace separated from it by a lofty bridge crossing a narrow street and called i dreamed the bridge of sighs but first i passed two jagged slits in a stone wall the lion's mouths now toothless where in the distempered horror of my sleep i thought denunciations of innocent men to the old wicked council had been dropped through many a time when the night was dark so when i saw the council room to which such prisoners were taken for examination and the door by which they passed out when they were condemned a door that never closed upon a man with life and hope before him my heart appeared to die within me. It was smitten harder, though, when, torch in hand, I descended from the cheerful day into two ranges, one below another, of dismal, awful, horrible stone cells. They were quite dark. 
Each had a loophole in its massive wall, where, in the old time, every day, a torch was placed, I dreamed, to light the prisoner within for half an hour. The captives, by the glimmering of these brief rays, had scratched and cut inscriptions in the blackened vaults. I saw them. For their labour with a rusty nail's point had outlived their agony and them through many generations. One cell I saw in which no man remained for more than four and twenty hours, being marked for dead before he entered it. Hard by another and a dismal one, whereto at midnight the confessor came, a monk, brown-robed and hooded, ghastly in the day and free bright air, but in the midnight of that murky prison, hope's extinguisher and murder's herald. I had my foot upon the spot where, at the same dread hour, the shriven prisoner was strangled, and struck my hand upon the guilty door, low-browed and stealthy, through which the lumpish sack was carried out into a boat and rowed away, and drowned where it was death to cast a net. Around this dungeon's stronghold, and above some part of it, licking the rough walls without and smearing them with damp and slime within, stuffing dank weeds and refuse into chinks and crevices, as if the very stones and bars had mouths to stop, furnishing a smooth road for the removal of the bodies of the secret victims of the state, a road so ready that it went along with them, and ran before them like a cruel officer, flowed the same water that filled this dream of mine, and made it seem one even at the time. Descending from the palace by a staircase, called, I thought, the Giants, I had some imaginary recollection of an old man abdicating, coming more slowly and more feebly down it, when he heard the bell proclaiming his successor. I glided off in one of the dark boats, until we came to an old arsenal guarded by four marble lions. To make my dream more monstrous and unlikely, one of these had words and sentences upon its body, inscribed there at an unknown time and in an unknown language, so that their purport was a mystery to all men. There was little sound of hammers in this place for building ships, and little work in progress, for the greatness of the city was no more, as I have said. Indeed, it seemed a very wreck found drifting on the sea a strange flag hoisted in its honourable stations, and strangers standing at its helm. A splendid barge in which its ancient chief had gone forth pompously at certain periods to wed the ocean lay here, I thought, no more. But in its place there was a tiny model made from recollection like the city's greatness, and it told of what had been, so are the strong and weak confounded in the dust, almost as eloquently as the massive pillars arches roofs reared to overshadow stately ships that had no other shadow now upon the water or the earth an armoury was there yet plundered and despoiled but an armoury with a fierce standard taken from the turks drooping in the dull air of its cage rich suits of mail worn by great warriors were hoarded there crossbows and bolts quivers full of arrows spears swords daggers maces shields and heavy-headed axes. Plates of wrought steel and iron to make the gallant horse a monster cased in metal scales, and one spring weapon, easy to be carried in the breast, designed to do its office noiselessly, and made for shooting men with poisoned darts. One press or case I saw, full of accursed instruments of torture, 
horribly contrived to cramp and pinch and grind and crush men's bones and tear and twist them with the torment of a thousand deaths before it were two iron helmets with breast-pieces made to close up tight and smooth upon the heads of living sufferers and fastened on to each was a small knob or anvil where the directing devil could repose his elbow at his ease and listen near the walled-up ear to the lamentations and confessions of the wretch within there was that grim resemblance in them to the human shape they were such moulds of sweating faces pained and cramped that it was difficult to think them empty and terrible distortions lingering within them seemed to follow me when taking to my boat again i rode off to a kind of garden or public walk in the sea where there were grass and trees but i forgot them when i stood upon its farthest brink i stood there in my dream and looked along the ripple to the setting sun before me in the sky and on the deep a crimson flush and behind me the whole city resolving into streaks of red and purple on the water in the luxurious wonder of so rare a dream i took but little heed of time and had but little understanding of its flight but there were days and nights in it and when the sun was high and when the rays of lamps were crooked in the running water i was still afloat i thought plashing the slippery walls and houses with the cleavings of the tide as my black boat borne upon it skimmed along the streets sometimes alighting at the doors of churches and vast palaces i wandered on from room to room from aisle to aisle through labyrinths of rich altars ancient monuments decayed apartments where the furniture half awful half grotesque was mouldering away pictures were there replete with such enduring beauty and expression with such passion truth and power that they seemed so many young and fresh realities among a host of spectres i thought these often intermingled with the old days of the city with its beauties tyrants captains patriots merchants counters priests nay with its very stones and bricks and public places all of which lived again about me on the walls then coming down some marble staircase where the water lapped and oozed against the lower steps i passed into my boat again and went on in my dream floating down narrow lanes where carpenters at work with plane and chisel in their shops tossed the light shaving straight upon the water where it lay like weed or ebbed away before me in a tangled heap past open doors decayed and rotten from long steeping in the wet through which some scanty patch of vine shone green and bright making unusual shadows on the pavement with its trembling leaves past quays and terraces where women gracefully veiled were passing and repassing and where idlers were reclining in the sunshine on flagstones and on flights of steps past bridges where there were idlers too loitering and looking over below stone balconies erected at a giddy height before the loftiest windows of the loftiest houses past plots of garden theatres shrines prodigious piles of architecture gothic saracenic fanciful with all the fancies of all times and countries past buildings that were high and low and black and white and straight and crooked mean and grand crazy and strong twining among a tangled lot of boats and barges and shooting out at last into a grand canal 
There, in the errant fancy of my dream, I saw old Shylock passing to and fro upon a bridge, all built upon with shops, and humming with the tongues of men, a form I seemed to know for Desdemona's, leaned down through a latticed blind to pluck a flower. And in the dream I thought that Shakespeare's spirit was abroad upon the water somewhere, stealing through the city. At night, when two votive lamps burnt before an image of the Virgin, in a gallery outside the great cathedral near the roof, I fancied that the great piazza of the winged lion was a blaze of cheerful light, and that its whole arcade was thronged with people, while crowds were diverting themselves in splendid coffee-houses opening from it, which were never shut, I thought, but open all night long. When the bronze giant struck the hour of midnight on the bell, I thought the life and animation of the city were all centred here, and as I rode away abreast the silent quays, I only saw them dotted here and there with sleeping boatmen wrapped up in their cloaks and lying at full length upon the stones. But close about the quays and churches, palaces and prisons, sucking at their walls and welling up into the secret places of the town, crept the water always. Noiseless and watchful, coiled round and round it in its many folds like an old serpent, waiting for the time, I thought, when people should look down into its depths for any stone of the old city that had claimed to be its mistress. Thus it floated me away until I awoke in the old market-place at Verona. I have many and many a time thought since of this strange dream upon the water, half wondering if it lie there yet, and if its name be Venice. End of chapter 7